Part two, chapter six of A Student's History of American Literature by William Simons. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Matt Berard. Chapter six, part two. Orators and Statesmen. Among the men conspicuous in public life, who, by reason of their argumentative skill and the power of their eloquence, were the nation's leaders during the critical years of the century, the first to be mentioned is Daniel Webster. No more commanding personality has ever moved among American statesmen. His portrait, after those of Washington and Lincoln, is the most familiar of those in our National Gallery. So impressive was he in presence, so leonine in feature, that his personal appearance struck every listener with awe. That amphorous, crag-like face, the dull black eyes under the precipice of brown, like dull anthracite furnaces needing only to be blown, the mastiff mouth accurately closed. This is the way in which Carlyle described his picture. He was an acute reasoner as well as an eloquent speaker. His famous arguments in the Dartmouth College case, 1818, and in the White murder case, at Salem, 1830, are models of logical structure. His orations at the 200th anniversary of the landing of the Pilgrims, 1820, and the laying of the cornerstone of Bunker Hill Monument, 1825, and at the completion of the monument, 1843, are noted examples of his eloquence. It was his self-appointed task to guard the integrity of the Constitution, and it was this idea which inspired the best known of all his great addresses, the reply to Hayne, delivered in the United States Senate in eighteen thirty. It was his devotion to the Union and the preservation of national unity which led to his support of compromise measures when the separation of South and North seemed imminent, and it was this which brought forth the speech on the seventh of March, eighteen fifty the speech which aroused the indignation of the anti-slavery party in New England and drew from Whittier that scathing utterance of disappointment and grief, the poem Ichabod. Webster was born at Salisbury, New Hampshire. He studied at Phillips Academy, then recently founded at Exeter, and was graduated from Dartmouth College in 1801. He practiced law in Portsmouth, and served for a term as a representative of New Hampshire in Congress. In 1816, he removed to Boston, again went to Congress, and then entered the Senate in 1827. He was Secretary of State, 1841 to 1843, and returned to the Senate in 1845. His home was at Marshfield, Massachusetts, at the time of his death. Representing the South in the arena of political debate, were John C. Calhoun, seventeen eighty two to eighteen fifty, and Henry Clay, seventeen seventy seven to eighteen fifty two, while the names of Rufus Choate, seventeen ninety nine to eighteen fifty nine, and Edward Everett, seventeen ninety four to eighteen sixty five, are joined with that of Webster as representative of the eloquence of New England. Foremost among the orators developed by anti-slavery sentiment in the North were Wendell Phillips, 1811 to 1884, and Charles Sumner, 1811 to 1874. 
the eloquent voice of henry ward beecher eighteen thirteen to eighteen eighty seven was raised in the same cause nor should the name of stephen a douglas eighteen thirteen to eighteen sixty one and abraham lincoln eighteen o nine to eighteen sixty five be omitted from this list in a dramatic series of public debates conducted in eighteen fifty eight upon the prairies of illinois lincoln and douglas contended over the great issue of the time the institution of slavery and the momentous national problem to which it had given rise while nominally a campaign for the illinois senatorship this remarkable discussion between the rival candidates douglas the national leader of the democratic party and lincoln the candidate of the recently organized republicans aroused the interest of the entire country mr douglas was elected to the senate but the contest made lincoln two years later the logical candidate of the republican party for the presidency of the united states it is not necessary here to discuss the genius of abraham lincoln his lowly origin his primitive surroundings the scanty education the unique personality the lofty spirit in the awkward almost grotesque frame are all parts of a familiar story he was yet another in the group of so-called self-made men in which genius has triumphed over circumstances it should not be forgotten that the opponent of the highly trained debonair douglas had had his forensic training during twenty years of practice before the illinois bar and that he was regarded as the best jury lawyer in the state nor that the author of the speech at gettysburg had steeped his mind in youth with the english of shakespeare and the bible almost his only textbooks academic traditions were unknown to lincoln his oratory was simple keen direct his eloquence was unadorned by the arts of rhetoric but his inaugural addresses and that delivered at the dedication of the gettysburg memorial betray the highest qualities of head and heart they are among the choicest of our american classics End of Part 2, Chapter 6